Amen. Please turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. I'm going to focus on verse 14 to 16. This is Paul, Paul's letter to uh, Christians in Rome. Um, we don't know who we don't know who found this church. Uh, what we know is that Paul have never been at Rome, and also what we know is that those believers they were famous um, regarding their faith, and that's a good thing to be famous. Yeah. When you have this strong faith reflecting your behavior. And of course, they were being known because they were sharing the good news that they got. So, as you can see, verse 14 and 16 is one of the most provoking and challenging statements from the Apostle Paul. And that's we got, we're going to look tonight here, verse 14 to 16. I am under obligation both to, the, to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we again, we lift up our hearts and minds to you, understanding our limitations, and we pray that you may help us to overcome those limitations, and may you feed us tonight. May you equip us to the work you have for us tonight. By the power of the Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. So as you can see in our bulletin, the title for this sermon tonight is The Christians, Three I Am's, and a Culture of Evangelism. We have talked about the culture of evangelism. And what is culture? How can you define culture? Whatever might be your definition about what is culture, we have to agree that there has to be one fundamental value for a culture to exist and to succeed. And there is a collective conscience, a collective conscience and efforts from each members. A culture cannot exist and succeed if all of us start to think about it and start to strive about it. And that's so applicable for, for us as a church if you, we really want to build a culture of evangelism. Because what would happen if we are not together? It, it's not a uh, collective conscience and efforts for each one of us, what would happen is that we would have a movement, just a movement about evangelism, but not a culture. And that's what most of the church are going through when it comes to evangelism. That's what's happening here. It's just 
for most of the church, they see evangelism just as a movement. So tonight, we will see here that the Apostle Paul lays a great foundation for us to build a culture of evangelism as he gives to us through level of commitment which each and every one of us needs to embrace so that we can really create a culture of evangelism. Cannot just be the pastors, cannot just be the session, or the evangelist. Has to be everyone here embracing those three principles here, the, the, the Christians' three I am's. And since we are more, more familiar with the last two, being eager and not ashamed, we're going to focus here mainly, 70% of my sermon will be in the first points, because we don't think too much of ourselves uh, when it comes to evangelism. We don't think too much about ourselves to be obligated to share the gospel. And see what Paul says here in verse 14, I am under the obligation. Not I was, not I will be, I am constantly under the obligation. Not only the, during the mission trips, that's easy. It's very easy to, to travel to a place that you don't know the people. You're going to get out later on, you know. But it, the challenge is an ongoing understanding that we have to proclaim, to share the gospel as our Lord provides for us an opportunity. Amen? So that's the understanding that we need, and that's what Paul is telling us here. But we don't feel ourselves obligated to, to, to really preach the gospel. We might feel ourselves obligated to, to come to church, to participate in the Lord's Supper, to baptize our kids, to keep the Sabbath. But what about evangelism? Why we don't feel obligated to, to evangelize? So what is your sense of obligation when it comes to evangelism? Sometimes, all the time, only when you are going well, feeling well. Perhaps another question is, do you believe that there is a biblical mandate for every Christian to evangelize? Do you believe? Or... You believe that the Great Commission, for instance, from Matthew 28, it's only applicable to the apostles. It was only to the apostles. I have nothing to do with it. Perhaps you believe that only those who have received the gift of evangelism, they are the ones who are supposed to evangelize, not me. I, I'm out of it. Others just, are just afraid. They believe that this is a, a biblical mandate from Jesus. Most of us, of course, we are not ashamed. I hope so. We are not ashamed. But we are afraid. We don't know how to do it. But there is another kind of people that says, I don't believe that God can use me. Sinner like me? No, I... God can use Eric, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Wayne, and me? No, no way. God has something better to use, not me. 
Perhaps it is this kind of understanding that you have and is holding you back to proclaim the good news. But back to the Great Commission. Let's first answer this question. Back to the Great Commission. Although the historical context here, it is Jesus giving this command to the apostles. It's also applicable to us. Think about Jesus' command here, Matthew 28. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, doesn't all that Jesus has commanded include the command to make disciples? Now, how in the world are we going to make a disciple without doing evangelism? So what Jesus is commanding here to the disciples has to be applicable to us if we believe we have been called to make disciples. So Jesus' command to the apostles to share the gospel is also applicable to us. But what about the gifts? That's more, more complicated here since we don't have time to discuss here. But the question is, are you required to have the gift of evangelism to evangelize? Well, no time to discuss about that. But suffice it to say that evangelism is not described in the least of common spiritual gifts, as we see in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. So where we find the gift of evangelism? Ephesians 4. Can you turn to Ephesians 4? Ephesians 4 refers, Paul is talking about the gift of evangelists as an office. Not as a gift per se. And you see that here in verse 7, that Christ is giving the gift of evangelists as a gift to his church. That's what's happening here. Verse 11 says that he, Christ, gave as a gift to the church, to his church, verse 7 and 8, you can see that. He, he gave as a gift to his church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And why he did so? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which obviously include evangelism. Can you see that? So what, what Paul is saying here is that the gift of the evangelism, he is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which of course include, includes evangelism, for building up the body of Christ. Now, as you can see, a Christian who has the gifts of evangelism in the body of Christ is not called to share the gospel in the neighborhood on behalf of the local church. That's not the point. He is called to equip the church, the members of the church, to go out and preach the gospel. In other words, the gift of evangelism is not an outsourcing for a local church. 
The gift of evangelism is, a, is an equipping gift to the local church. But why most Christians, why do most Christians not feel obligated to share the gospel? That's the question we have before us. Perhaps because we don't understand the seriousness, the nature of our obligation. Back to Romans 1, verse 14, the Greek word Paul uses here for saying, I am under the obligation, describes a person who has a financial or a religious obligation. It's a moral obligation. As the King James translates this, I am a debtor. Um, let me ask you, do you deal with your dad, your debt, as an option? Is that how you, you see your debts? What type of letter do you monthly receive in your mailbox? See if the kind of letter sounds like this. Dear customer, the bank is wondering whether you are willing to consider sending, sending some money for us to cover your loan this month. If you are not feeling like it or cannot send money to us, that's not a problem. And you don't need to be ashamed either. Of course, that's not the kind of letter we get in our mailbox. If, we have, if you have a debt with your bank, you know it's a firm contract that cannot be escaped unless it's either paid or forgiven. The call to evangelize, it's a moral obligation, a debt. In the same way that the call to sanctification is a moral obligation. And I'm, why I'm saying that? Because Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, uses the same Greek words when he was speaking about the new life we have in the Spirit. Paul says, so brothers... So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In other words, we are debtors to the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit. He was talking about sanctification. Every Christian has a moral obligation to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15, with the same Greek word, Paul gives a report to the Christians in Rome about the Gentile church and how they were pleased and glad to provide financial resource for the believers in Jerusalem. And if you go to Romans 15, verse 27, you're going to see that instead of clapping his hands for the generous act Paul says that the Gentiles' act of offering is in fact an obligation to the Jews. Verse 27, they were pleased. You see that? They were pleased. So we, it's just amazing to see they were under obligation, but they were still pleased to do it. They were glad to send money to Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they honored to them. And I love, again, the King James. It has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. 
They have a moral obligation to send an offering to Jerusalem. And why they are there? Paul goes on in verse 27 to say, For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews, they ought, the same Greek word, they are in that, they are in that also to be of service to them in material blessings. In other words, if they receive from the Jews the spiritual blessings, now they have a moral obligation to share with them the material blessings. Perhaps now you wonder how in the world we are now in debt for a free gift. If salvation is a free gift. How is that I'm in debt right now? And the answer is that obligation to Christ who died for us produces an obligation to those for whom Christ died. Why we under the obligation? Because obligation to Christ who died for us produces an obligation to those for whom he died. That's the idea we have about the gospel. Is that in the gospel there is this stewardship, this sacred stewardship that has been entrusted to each and everyone who has received the gospel freely. In other words, when you became a believer... You received your salvation as a deposit in, into your account. And now you're not only recipients of these free gifts called salvation, but you're also charged to give it to others, to share the gospel to others, to talk about Jesus to others. Not merely giving your testimony, but actually verbalizing the testimony that Scripture gives about Christ. I remember one day one woman came out of the witchcraft voodoo in Brazil and she came to me and she said, I have been in witchcraft for 20 years and I'm, I'm looking forward to speak about my experience in the witchcraft and how Jesus... No, no, no. The, your testimony cannot do nothing. You are supposed to speak about Christ. Forget about your past. Preach the gospel. That's the power. Your testimony... As I was saying another day, as good as you are, can just show to people that you are good and they're still going to hell. It is the testimony of Jesus that saves people. So we see, even in Jesus' teaching through his parables, that the gospel, the free gift of salvation, brings with it responsibility. We see the parable of the, the talents, for instance, when the masters entrusted for each one of them talents, and they were supposed to give fruits. We see the parable of the vine and the branches, the barren fig tree. It's not a new idea from Paul. Jesus had already spoke about this, that the gospel, although freely, produced responsibilities. Now, it's one thing to recognize a debt, isn't it? But it's another thing to be willing to pay for it. So that's here. We now move to another level of commitment to build a culture of evangelism. Verse 15, Paul says, I am eager. NIV says, I am so 
eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Have you ever been excited to tell your friends about something that just is just happening with you? Perhaps you kids, um, I don't know, you, you were excited when you, you got your Xbox, you know, your PS, and then you, you were more looking for about telling your friends than to play with the Xbox. Or perhaps a Nerf gun, or I don't know, my kids, my, my son sometimes, he, he sees those videos about Nerf guns, and he became so excited, and even producing those, those sounds, although Nerf guns don't, doesn't do those sounds, he got so excited to come to me, you know. Others get so excited about telling others that they are falling in love. And they, they, they are about to get married and, and they have a baby. So what happens when we have a baby, for instance? Do we just keep the information for ourselves? I'm not going to tell anyone. No, of course not. We immediately call our parents and say, Hey, mom, dad, Milena is born. Woohoo! Is that what we do? We do that. And why we, why we do that? Because these are all good things, amazing things that we want to tell people about. So what about the gospel? Are you still excited about the gospel? Are you still excited about the gospel? You should. I should be excited about the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that brings salvation. Isn't the power of the gospel the most amazing thing we have ever received in life? For sure. Now, have you experienced the gospel in its fullness? What I mean its fullness is not only what the gospel can do in your life, but through your life. I cannot compare the gospel with anything else. You know, seeing my wife walking towards me in our wedding or our kids being born were powerful moments that changed my life. And I believe that's happened with you as well. But in my personal experience, nothing compared with seeing people coming to faith in Christ through a sinner like me that's so powerful how many of you have experienced that it is it is at that moment that an obligation becomes a joyful commitment a joyful commitment I remember Elijah and Tatiani Tatiani started to come to our church with her two kids and became a believer. And her husband was not in favor of seeing his wife become a, a Christian. And although Elijah was a hardworking guy, he was spending all his money in alcohol and drugs. And every time that he, he was uh, drunk, he used to beat uh, Tatiana and over and over again. And somehow one day Tatiana brought him at the church. I think it was Monday Tuesday evening, I was at home, tired, not willing. No, no, not at all. And then I got a call, hey, can you come to church? We have a problem here. My pastor called me, I said, okay, let's go. And then I got in my office, this guy smelling, angry. And 
what's happening? And Tatiana was crying, the kids was crying, this guy just looking at me. And my pastor started to hammering him with the moral <laughs> uh, lesson. Do you see your kids here? Is that what you want for your wife, your kids? And after a few minutes, I, I started to share the gospel with him. And I said, Elijah, do you know the power of the gospel? The gospel can change you. The gospel can save you. That is forgiveness for you, Elijah. And after five minutes, Elijah looked at me and said, Hey, man, what do you want me to do? And I said, I want you, Elijah, to go to the rehab center, rehab center for drug addiction right now. It was nine o'clock in the evening. Elijah was not wearing a t-shirt, neither shoes. And he looked at me and said, Hey, man, look at how I am right now. I don't have shoes. I don't have a t-shirt. I said, Okay, Elijah, let's go. I took my shoes, I gave my, what I have, and I took this guy to the rehab. He stayed for six months. I moved to another church, and I never heard more about Elijah. A few years later, Vivian and I was, got a call, can you come over? We're going to get married, Elijah and Tatiani. Elijah had, had become a great Christian, a great husband, loving his kids and wife. And when we get there, he called us to the, to the church here in the stage and saying, one day I was drunk. I was dead. And someone decided to step into my life. And I want to call Brother Eric to come here. I know it was not about me. As Paul says, it's about the power of the gospel. But what a powerful moment to see that a sinner like me can really be used by God to save other sinners. And that's the power of evangelism for our lives. When we go out, we proclaim the gospel. Of course, there will be people that we reject. And when they reject, there is a benefit. Because then I look at me and say, God, thank you so much. Because if it was not your Holy Spirit, I would reject you as well. And when they accept, I say to myself, what a powerful true who is the gospel. So, it's a joyful obligation to share the gospel. And then, perhaps the problem is, I'm not even excited about my own salvation, Eric. Perhaps that's the problem. I'm not even excited about my own salvation. Perhaps that's the, way, the reason why we don't preach the gospel to others. So how, how do you do here? I think we should go to the Old Testament and see what David says in Psalms 51. He was struggling, and he prayed to God. Verse 12 and 13, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. Sustain me. Then... I'll preach the gospel. I'll preach the gospel. Then I'll teach transgressions your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. And you already see that David really believed in the power of the gospel. They will turn. It's not they might turn to you, O Lord. They will turn. Perhaps that's what we need to do tonight. To pray to God. To restore the joy of 
his salvation. So David believed in the power of the gospel, and that's how Paul finishes here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It is the power of God. That's the final level of commitment to produce a culture of evangelism, which is our conviction about the efficacy of the gospel. If, you do, if you're not convinced that the gospel really in itself and by itself is enough to save, you're not going to preach the gospel. You have to believe. You have to be convicted that this message here, although simple it, it is, it is powerful. Powerful. So Paul believed that the gospel is God at work, not man. It is God. That's why I, sometimes I just go to people and I speak and I say to God, it's in your hands. It is in your hands. It's up to you, O Lord, right now, in your Holy Spirit. And that's what happened when we go out. We speak. We just speak. One of the great, greatest evangelists, he said that the gospel is like a lion. It's like a lion. So when it, comes, when it comes to evangelism, all we need to do is to just open the door of the cage and get out of the way. The lion will do its work. That's the power of the gospel. Just speak. Just tell people. And God will do his work. And you, and you will be <laughs> delighting in him and being used by him. That's the power of the gospel. Not just to save others, but to really, really encourage us. So tonight, I don't know why you don't preach the gospel. I don't know why. Whether you're afraid, whether you don't believe it's a command, whether you're ashamed, but as you can see here, we have everything that we need to preach the gospel. Everything. We have the message, the power, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Everything. We have the command. We have everything. We have been so blessed by God. That that's reminds me, and I'm going to close with this illustration, and I hope I can pronounce the name of this animal who live in the wilderness, in the desert. Camel? Is that right? Camel? Okay, so camel. So here we have the camel and his pop, puppy, in a conversation. And the son asked the father, Father, why, why we have this long leg here? It's so weird, so long. And, and he said, well, it's because in the wilderness we have the sinking sand, and if we get stuck, we can leave. We, we can easily move from, from this. And then he asked, why we have these big eyelids? It's because in the wilderness we have a uh, sandstorm. And why we have these big things in our back? It's so weird. I don't like this. It's because in the wilderness, sometimes it's hard to find water. And then suddenly the last question came, Dad, why are we doing here in the Zoom? So tonight, I hope you go home 
understand that God has blessed you so many ways for you to go out and not leave in the Zoom. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us. We thank you for the gift of salvation, which was free, but also brought to us the responsibility as ambassadors of Christ. As ambassadors of Christ, oh Lord, use us. For those who are afraid, bring your love into their hearts. For those who are ashamed, show that your, your gospel has saved them. Lord, help us to reach out our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.